All right, guys, welcome back for another podcast. Uh, today, we're going to do something a little different. Um, it's actually a response video uh, to something that was sent to me on the internet. So here we go. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, oh man. man. You know, the last couple of podcasts, of course, you know, um, obviously I'm here for the whole thing from beginning to end. Uh -huh. But then it's like when you finally play it, like on, on you know, uh, Apple or whatever it is, it's like we're already like mid conversation by the time the music tapers <laughs> off. <laughs> you know, making a joke about something. But, um, but right. anyway, guys, uh, yeah, so today um, we actually had uh, a lot of uh, uh, actually discussion before the podcast on whether or not we actually wanted to record this particular podcast. But for us to be, you know, talking about process now and how, you know, the spider web essentially is set up, how all of this stuff, I mean, the reason why we didn't talk about process in the first 25 podcasts is because it would have been way too early. Yeah. You know, we can't talk about process, but, you know, this video that was sent to me, um, you know, was actually sent to me on the context of like, Hey, what do you think about this? And it was because again, we start to talk about culture and core values. We start to talk about our education system and public relations and service and, or, you know, and process, but more importantly, talking about culture, mm -hmm. the failed bond spectrum, mm -hmm. talking about service, our lack of infrastructure, talking about talent where there's overall a loss of self-worth and saying, all right, well, we've dedicated I mean, 25, 26 episodes, um, you know, 30 some odd hours. I mean, if you look that way um, in just talking about what our core values are and how it relates to the education system and now ultimately moving over to process and really what the process side is now we're starting to engage the concept of they're actually being caregivers mm -hmm. because when we were talking about core values, that was almost exclusively just internal. That was just how are we actually functioning as a clinic? Now, the thought there is, of course, there is still educate the caregiver and serve the patient. So there is an external component to core values. Mm -hmm. um, but really, it was more so on how are we handling ourselves? Right, right. It, it's, yeah, the, the caregiver is a part of the care team, but that yeah. was pretty much the extent of how yeah. we, we approach that, but mostly focused on what is your locus of control, and yeah. it's typically within your team, not necessarily as much with a caregiver, but that can be extended out yeah. with a relatively low amount of effort as well. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's what, again, has come up is fix yourself, fix yeah. the team, fix the community. Yeah. That's why we've kind of taken this approach, fix yourself as core values, fix yep. the team as the education system mm -hmm. and then sort of fix the community is process and service. I mean, yeah, that works really well. Yeah, oddly, right? Yeah. <laughs> I know you just riffed that out, but it does work pretty well because it does take good process yeah. to ultimately create a, a community level impact because if your process isn't there and that's been one of our growing pains over yeah. time has been, um, and we talked about it with care or, uh, on number 25 with, uh, the, the concept of the value of time. Sure. Yep is if process takes away from that for people, they're going to go back to core values and trust is going to be limited, which ultimately is going to impact, you know, respect, unity, and alt and uh, accountability, which, um, which we, you can go back to seven, eight, nine, right. talk about how those are yeah. all circular. Um, but really that's what it comes down to is if your process isn't good, it's going to go all the way back yeah. to yeah. Uh, a, a lack of core values on the patient care team, which does include caregivers. Yeah. No, and 
and that's exactly. So <clears throat> when you look at, um, it, uh, um, so what's the uh, key indicators of success, right? So it's mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, I, I even had a veterinarian I was consulting with ask me about that. What's your key indicators? You know, and it's all about everyone ev- only ever wants to talk about process where it's like, oh, how, what's, how many appointments are you turning? What is your charges at? What are these at? You know, so it's like uh, we are only ever talking about process. There is not enough focus on core values and sort of ultimately what is our education system yep. on onboarding and so on and so forth, performance reviews, yada, yada. Um, but yeah, so I, I think it's, again, I like the way in which we have formatted these, at least um, mm-hmm. you know, from a linear standpoint. Um, so that being said, uh, to then have this video sent to me um, and saying, hey, what do you think about this? Um, you know, and, and I was kind of creating our own response video to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what we're gonna see is in just sort of this, um, you know, the, like you said before, the way in which this information is presented, yeah. um, you know, at least is sort of in jest on, in some respect, I mean, it is kind of a big joke video, mm-hmm. um, you know, and trying to make light of a potentially serious um, situation or at least situations. Um, but for me, as we kind of go through these um, five points, really it's less about what this veterinarian is actually saying and doing, but it's the implication of the entire thing. Mm-hmm. It's the process to core values, to education, to see how this one problem, I, I completely agree, are perceived as five problems. Mm-hmm. I understand that the current culture of our profession is that these five things are a barrier for us or a bottleneck or a restriction or a constant you know, uh, thing that we come against, but it's all about perspective. Right. It's all about control. It's all about accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where, um, we actually, <laughs> we're talking about mentee about this, is it's actually take, who's taking the first step. Yep. You know, and I think uh, in this particular video, what we can um, at least end it with is sort of the end of the video appears as if it is worded towards caregivers, um, you know, to basically say, like, just trust us, you know, with your patients. So you can tell that the video is um, in one respect, the message is it's kind of it's kind of odd because the message is geared towards caregivers but the jokes are about caregivers to address a veterinary audience mm-hmm. so there's a little bit of clarity there for me where it's just like how are we and so I, I, I give credit because it's supposed to hit a lot of different, you know, people, right? But yeah. it's the, the message I feel is um, just kind of off base when you look at what we've been talking about for the last 30 hours. And um, <clears throat> the thing about it that kind of drives me nuts is um, what we've done. Uh, if you go back to when we talked about our after action review, oh, sure. this is obviously not one of those, but it's, it's of similar context where it's like, here's a set of variables and now you have a team of people looking at it and being objective about what is happening or at least a tempting to be but the whole point of the after action review is to get to the point of implementable solutions correct and in this instance yes does it lay out uh i think the number one the set of variables is very limited um to it, it is yeah. there's a humor element it so is there sure. is, it is satirical which yeah. I, I give it that yeah but yeah. there's also the fact that it, there, the, the perspective on that is it can create a level of misguidedness for those that even if they understand that it's satirical, it'll be like, well, this is actually what happens. It's right. funny because it's true. Correct. Yes. Um, yeah, the other every side joke has an element of truth. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. 
So the, the limited set of variables, not necessarily getting to a, a fully shared set of reality, sure. which then uh, it, it ultimately were our, the solutions we could implement aren't great. But on the other side is when you talk about having multiple audiences, but not a whole lot of directive, yeah. is that the way that this is worded at the end is, is actually putting the actionable item on the caregiver, Correct. even though it's directed towards a veterinary audience. Correct. Which, yeah. to me, turns into... Uh, in at least in Murphy's Law's world, yes. in a blame. Yeah. Because now somebody's going to see this and be like, well, it's your responsibility to ask me how we can treat your patient better. Yeah, and it's your responsibility to trust us. It's because yeah. you well, I'm blaming you for the lack of trust in this relationship. Right, right. Yeah. And to me, that's uh, that's, uh backwards almost entirely yeah. because um, as it relates, like just find where you have that control, find where you can make things better yeah. and waiting for somebody to look at you and say, hey, I want to increase trust Therefore, what what should I do? That to me, it's not realistic yeah. um, because I don't think that from a caregiver's perspective, they should really understand that a lack of trust even exists. Not, I mean, uh, you, sure, sure. Like they 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 oh, may both just, sides. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Between the veterinary care team, uh, you know, at least in house, and the veterinary care team at home, mm -hmm. uh, which is going to be the caregiver and their family, and of course, us and the medical support staff, because we're all sort of one team together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, is you and I think that's actually one of the recurring themes that I have with a lot of these podcasts when I talk about my colleagues is like a lot of it is I, I think we're like there are a huge swath of us that are um, just naive to our own part, and I think it's a self awareness component and a lot of that self-awareness component basically comes down to who's going to make the first move. Mm -hmm. So if you recognize that this is an issue, you know, you can't have the expectation that um, necessarily the caregivers are going to come in with the solution um, if that person is then met with a team who would be unreceptive to it. Mm -hmm. So that's where I think where we look at what our, you know, quote unquote management style or business perspective or sort of cultural approach is an ultimate neutrality. It's right. an ultimate equality. And if we have neutrality and equality, we should have again when we talk about that trust respect and unity component not even necessarily accountability but just trust respect and unity um i think you know you had just mentioned you know between the excuses and blaming and reality and so on and so forth i think that's kind of what bleeds out of what these five problems are mm -hmm. is that there there isn't a lot of respect you know it's it's our is it that well they don't respect us so i'm not going to respect them you know i mean it's it's those types of um you know things back and forth so even coming into saying all right well maybe you and i saw this video you know we were considering making a response video to it and it's like you know we started to see of course our core values how we've missed core values in, in some of these problems mm -hmm. how we're talking about unaccountability and accountability um i mean just pop through some of the comments. I mean, the, the mm -hmm. overall response video to this is not a solution based response, right? You know, a lot of it is just staying into the, you know, the excuses that I can't people or the blaming. I hate that when they do that. Um, let yeah. me just pop a couple off. Yeah. So one of them is, uh, and we'll get to the actual, uh, the five yeah. things that yeah, are yeah, in yeah. the video, but, but just some to of the prove responses, the point. Yeah, yeah, is, uh, um, one of, one of them is talking about uh, the idea of explaining patient status, right. And, uh, a veterinarian laying out a different perspective for him. So the uh, commenter says a fun thing to do is when a caregiver tells you their dog has been vomiting for three weeks, reply with, okay, so he hasn't been holding down food for three weeks. Uh, just laying out a different perspective usually makes them realize what idiots they've been. Sure. So start it off okay. Right. 
and then right. it's like, oh, and but we're actually we just just disparaging people, even yeah. with it's just even with our the way that we say something, the right. way that we're thinking about laying out this different yeah. perspective, just to prove that you're right. Yeah. Push, put them in their place. Put the yes, yes, right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and for me, like when you know, to look at that, I'm just like, if that was my mom. What yeah. if that was my mom? Yeah. What if that was your grandma, mm-hmm. right? I mean, what if it was my my brother or a cousin or something like that? I mean, there's sort of the lack of human elements. So you just show them how much of an idiot they are. You know, it, it's just, to me, that that it is infuriating. Yeah. Because it's not, you know, what, what do we say? Inefficient process and unnecessary conflict are the two biggest problems in our profession. It's like uh, our solutions to that is serve the patient and educate the caregiver. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to start out educating someone by thinking they're an idiot to begin with? Because idiot is just perspective. Yeah, they they might okay. Animals not been holding down food for three weeks. You said that instead of vomiting. Okay, yeah, maybe that is something that they missed the mark on. But it's like I don't know. Um, go change your toilet. Right. You know, right. like idiot is only ever perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, so we can't assume that you know plumber's going to come in and be like, ha, you mean your toilet's been running for three weeks? You know, that means the valve's bad. Why didn't you just replace it? Yeah, you're in your place. You're an idiot. Right. You know, so it's it's all a matter of perspective. Just because we hold on to this information doesn't mean we're any better or worse. It just right. means we have the ability to educate. Right. Uh, so, yeah, there's one. There's one. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, number we'll get two, on that in a minute. <laughs> number two, uh, the internet one happens all the time. Dr. Google is my worst enemy. Right. Uh, and then a response to that one. I hate Dr. Google. Right. So, again, and I think we can we can pop into these one through five very yeah. diligently. So, yeah. I mean, again, I, I can fire off. So, I, yeah. But the, the point is in reading some of those comments yeah. off is this. Very negative. Yeah, correct. And that, I think that's the point I was trying to make or we were trying to make is just saying, like, this isn't us just – looking at this video and being like, we don't agree with what, you know, is being said and, you know, there's, there's no core value and there's respect mm-hmm. and all these other types of things. But it's like the reception, mm-hmm. you know, it to to a, at least a group of people, yeah. you know, is that even if we're saying that, well, we had, you know, uh, you know, 20% uh, negative comments and, you know, wh- you know, whatever happens to be, it's like, but still, like mm-hmm. the, the impact that you're potentially having when you don't actually have it, it looks like an all-encompassing audience mm-hmm. um, where it's, you know, you're trying to send a message to caregivers, but you are, um, you know, again, trying to make jest and it's focused more towards a veterinary group is that, you know, like I think you had said before is it's like, you know, if you have a, uh, veterinary professional, whether it's a nurse or, um, a veterinarian or medical support or whatever it is, but you have a veterinary professional who doesn't spend a lot of time on the internet cause they're just working hard, working every day. And it's like, they just want to fire off maybe a couple minutes on their phone to just mm-hmm. relax while they're eating their lunch or whatever it is, or wolfing down their food in front of a microscope. Um, <laughs> you know, is, uh, that's the one video they see today. Right. You know, and if what we're saying is, is that there's then going to be the negative impact or the negative perspective, the next of these five problems, the next five caregivers who come in that identify or at least indicate one of those problems gonna be like, Oh, that's right. This is a problem. And I hate that, Mm -hmm. you know, so it becomes a barrier actually. And and that's where, like I said, I think looking at process and core values and education system and so on and so forth. Um, so uh, I guess let's just jump right into the first one. Yeah, I would just just to finish up your point before yeah. you do is this is going to be similar to episode twenty one where we had talked about the unicorn clinic stuff and all the things oh, that went yeah, in yeah, with yeah. that, right? So um, uh, not not to say that this video doesn't have good intention, whether it is humorous or providing a level of perspective sure. where it's like you're not alone or yes. something like that. I think the intention is is there it's the realized result it's the uh did you did you overstep your intention and actually create a completely um 
unintentional result yes. of negativity. Yes. And I think in this instance, it does illustrate um, kind of a lack of, of perspective on how this can uh, ripple effect yeah. out into so many other negative reactions, yeah. even though it was well-intentioned. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think, um, you know, I, I think it's platform and reach, right? So yeah. we have a decent platform, but a small reach, Yeah, you know, so, you know, to say we have someone who has a decent platform and a large reach is mm -hmm. that's then the responsibility. Like if I had posted this video and had gotten those types of negative, negative comments on my video, that one, the first thing would be as I would actively engage that person who posted that. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, I have to be self-aware that my video actually then made it uh, acceptable for them to post in that way, I'd probably delete the fucking video. Yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't allow that message to continue to persist out there yeah. because again, there's so many levels of that are disparagement. I think you said, right. Is it, it, even if it was an unintentional result, yeah. I mean, it, in, because I mean, this, this particular veterinarian, I think is, is well known for kind of saying things in jest and just trying to keep it light and, mm -hmm. you know, Hey guys, don't take things so seriously. So again, I, I agree with yeah. you that the intent here is, um, not, intentionally negative yeah however the result but also the talk path is i think that's why then the video was sent to me and just saying what do you think about this so it's yeah. not necessarily meant to be argumentative in any capacity but it's more of just an analysis of this video as it relates to what we've been talking about for the last 30 hours right so so yeah the title of the video is five ways pet owners or in our instance caregivers make veterinary medicine hard sure um, so the first one was they bring in their own personal issues into an exam room. And these are the top five ways that pet owners make veterinary medicine difficult. Number five, they bring issues. Doctor, you need to do everything you can to save this dog. He is my best friend. He's the love of my life. He is everything. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, I, I thought I was the love of your life. Oh, well, honey, you were when we first got married, but doctor, you know how things change. Um, so yes, uh, bringing in personal issues into the exam room. Um, yeah. I mean, that's 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 a huge part of what. We I, yeah, I'm not disagreeing with the fact that that is a very real issue. Yes, right. Yes. But just uh, the way that it is worded in this context is like, oh, well, that's just a barrier that we can't overcome barrier. Yeah. Like they're just not going to be able to get past this. They're not going to listen. They're just going to be way too emotionally invested in their patient and yeah. they're not going to think rationally about anything. Yeah. So for us, uh, it goes to, OK we acknowledge that there is a barrier of emotional impact as it relates yes. to patient care. That's a very real thing. We're not yeah. discounting that. Yes. But let's put in some process yes. to, to get around it, get over it, get past it. Yeah. Um, and yeah. we, we have a few that I can you know, think of right away. Yeah, right? I mean, we kind of talked about it before. So I think I think the first way to start about and approach this particular issue is talking about the human animal bond spectrum. Mm -hmm. So we have to, again, if you look at our industry overview, kind of the middle top portion, of course, is culture. That's one of the biggest issues in our profession. And of culture, the biggest issue is failed bond spectrum alignment right so whether you as you know as a veterinarian um have your bond spectrum one way uh, as a caregiver they have theirs the other way is that um human animal bond spectrum is if we can maintain a certain respectable amount of neutrality in and mm -hmm. saying that we are actually sympathize and, and like i said for me i'm kind of more on sympathy than i, I am on empathy mm -hmm. um you know for me at least sympathizing and saying like no there's a lot i mean animals 
we put a lot of stuff on animals. I mean, even if we look at saying uh, between uh, the emotional support animals, right, mm -hmm. or even service animals for some people who have sort of debilitating, you know, anxiety issues and you know things like that, is it's like no, we actually do in some capacity have these as comfort animals. So mm -hmm. when our thing that provides us, ha now not, this is in a particular bond spectrum, I'm not saying everyone, yeah. but in this particular bond spectrum where they're coming in and that they have essentially used their patient as sort of this crutch or they've mm -hmm. used them as a bridge. So we're talking a high bond spectrum aligned client and or caregiver and then coming in with a personal issue in the exam room is, um, again, I personally don't feel as if that's a barrier, but what it does is it sort of changes the, uh, con the conversational tone. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had just this last weekend just acknowledging the human animal bond with one of my clients. I mean, like I said, I think the patient was there for seven hours. I mm -hmm. think the caregivers were there were for four hours, you know, mm -hmm. something like that. And the whole time the people were talking to me, they're like, you know, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're not the type of client that, you know, is going to go for oncology. We're not gonna be the type of client that, you know, does that, um, you know, but for them, it was clear where it was like, no, they actually have a really, really high spectrum alignment with this particular patient. They're going to take more time. And this comes back to process. If I was on a block schedule of 20 minute appointments, I wouldn't have the opportunity to actually give them that four hours of my time. Mm -hmm. Now it wasn't four hours straight. I mean, it was, we had yeah. blood work, then we went over results. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, yeah. so there's different parts to it. Um, but when we talk about how bond spectrum alignment focuses and works into process and saying that someone coming in with their personal issues is now going to somehow affect that. These people were of the mindset that they were a burden on me in that exam room. Mm -hmm. And the guy's like, you know, well, we're not, we know, you know, we're not, you know, we're just, we care, you know, we, we're worried, we're care, you know, so on and so forth. And he's like, you have a lot more other stuff going on out there that you guys are really busy. You have these other things. And I'm like, and you know, I, I basically, I just put my hands out. I'm like, Hey, hold on a second here. I'm like, I am in this exam room to serve your patient. I am in here because you're going to be making some decisions that are um, going to come with three big expenses mm -hmm. and those three expenses. And I, and I say this to people, this is what I say to them. Mm -hmm. I said the first expense is basically financial, how deep are your pockets? Yeah. I said the second one is going to be the emotional expense to your family. Mm -hmm. um, I said, and the third one is that we're going to have the physical expense from the patient. Mm -hmm. And I say, you know, from a money standpoint, I said, and I, some, I say these people, I say, you know, you can always make more money. I said, from an emotional standpoint, I say, um, you know, we're not here, we're, I'm not trained to really be a therapist. I can, you know, at least help guide you for some of the emotional stuff, but that's not really what I'm here for. I said, the reason why you came to the clinic today. And the reason why I'm here after hours, weekends, whatever it is, is because I want to serve your patient and minimize the physical expense that your animal is going to have to pay in this process. Mm -hmm. Done. Right. So what we've done in just a couple, I mean, how long did it take me to do that? 30 seconds? Yeah. You know, it's enough in just a short amount of time to be like, no, you have to understand that if you want to serve the entire bond spectrum, mm -hmm. if, if you want to say, I'm going to, uh, you know, at least the middle 80% of the bond spectrum, middle 60% of the bond spectrum and saying, if you want to look at focus on the majority of your cases, you have to have that wiggle room, but understanding when someone comes in with personal issues into the exam room that you just have to align them with your talk path. Mm -hmm. You just have to say, hey, yep, I understand there's an emotional part here, but guess what? We're going to work together to serve your patient. And that was it. Right. Then they were completely aligned back into saying, no, I understood there was personal issues in that exam room, but I focused the consultation over to serving the patient. Yeah, it's it's uh, I think what again, what the video would turn into is uh, not necessarily um, 
what the way that you're doing that where it's like no guide the conversation to me the perception that is realized in this is don't engage the emotional stuff sure. don't engage the personal issues and what you're doing or actually i don't e- i should say uh specifically because words matter don't acknowledge sure them. just ignore them yeah. just leave them off the table entirely and in the way that you're wording that and the way that it's perceived i think uh as a general rule not every time right. is that um Emotion, you are at a minimum acknowledging yes. that there is an emotional impact to the decision that is made. Yes. However, that's not your decision to make or to even guide. Correct. So if somebody drags that in, you'd be like, I understand that that is a part of the decision that you have to make. So uh, we have the financial aspect. I know nothing about that. We provide yeah. options like you do you. Yes. And just acknowledging the fact that that does exist. We've got the emotional side that absolutely you need to take that into consideration with your family. But yes. I'm not here to say what is right, what is wrong. Yep. All I'm here to do is to give you the descriptive element yes. of what is happening with your patient. Exactly. Because if your uh, if your willingness is higher than somebody else's to you know to re- to realize a higher level of patient expense, ultimately to mitigate emotional and or well emotional in that instance, or the other side is to mitigate financial and sure. realize less patient physical expense, whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. They need to do that calculation. Yes. It's just really hard to do that calculation without having a fully dis- uh, a, a very um, accurate description of what the patient expense is. Yes. Which is what a veterinarian's place is. Correct. It's it's not to be the guy who's given everything away. Sure. It's not to be the therapist. Yes. It is to describe what is happening yes. to fill out the rest of the equation. Absolutely. No, it, Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's that's yes. all I got. That's what it is. Um, and that's, that's again, coming on to the equal playing field, you know, and, and I, you're exactly right. Cause that, that came up, like you said, in episode 21, where it actually had to do with sort of the emotional management of mm-hmm. yourself and the team and don't have that emotional reaction only based in logic. So what I'll do is if I understand, so these two things go hand in hand. So <clears throat> most of the time, if you have someone who comes in with sort of a high bond spectrum alignment or they come in with, um, you know, again, sort of the uh, 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 personal issues into the exam room, you know, that kind of thing is usually what ends up happening is the consultation ends with, well, what would you do if it was your dog? Mm-hmm. That's pretty common. I mean, and after hours, I'll get it probably one and two to one and three consults. Yeah. Um, so when I start out by saying, if, if again, I recognize that it's a high spectrum alignment, um, I have there's an emotional component or, you know, there, there's sort of the, the personal issues or what happens to be. Um, is when I start out by saying, here's our three expenses, the, uh, f- uh, you know, uh, oh my gosh, <laughs> the, fi- the financial expense, the uh, emotional expense, and the physical expense, um, I'll end and I'll answer that question the same exact way. Mm-hmm. I'll say, and I say, there's no magic here. It's not a matter of what I would do with my animal. I said, because it's not up to me to make a decision what I do with my animal. I mm-hmm. said, in my particular circumstance is I have a wife, I have kids. There's other people in here who I would have the same conversation with. I said, because ultimately, I said, and I tell, and, I, and then I kind of make this joke to make it light with people, just to kind of take you know the air a little bit. Mm-hmm. As I say, I said, I'll find where my spectrum alignment may be different than my wife's spectrum alignment. Just as between you two spouses, you may have a different alignment where you think one thing should happen and you think the other thing should happen. I said, what should not happen is that 
you know, you as spouse one are, you want to treat you as spouse two, you want to euthanize. And then both of you look at me to basically take sides. Mm -hmm. And I tell people that, and then they kind of laugh and I'm like, I'm not going to do that mm -hmm. because that's not what I'm here to do. Yeah. I said, even if it was in my family where the shoe was on the other foot and what would I do? I said, here, here's the reality. If I end up saying, and this is then I talk about, then we're kind of talking about euthanasia a little bit here, uh, which is not the full context of the conversation. But what I'll say is it's, it's the coin of euthanasia is on one, you know, the coin of euthanasia sucks. It doesn't matter how you flip the coin, the coin of euthanasia sucks. However, for me, it's a matter of saying, well, we're actually providing um, comfort to this animal. We're taking away its suffering. So the coin of euthanasia actually is a positive thing. Mm -hmm. But what's on either side of those coin, on that coin, is on one side, you'll have individuals who, um, they, uh, if they euthanize too early, they'll feel like we never gave the patient a chance. We never tried. I'll never be able to forgive myself if I didn't try. Mm -hmm. The other side of the coin is um, we waited, or we took too long to treat. We tried to treat and we never should have treated. Why did we make our patients suffer longer just because we wanted to treat? Mm -hmm. And I say that to people and then it's usually when the tears start going, they're just like, yeah, I'm that way. He's that way. Mm -hmm. And I said, this is a very difficult circumstance to be in because sometimes it's a matter of just a vomiting dog who's coming in. I want to treat. I don't. What if something happens? We'll see. You know, so you can take it not just on euthanasia, but you can take it on any condition between yeah. vomiting, diarrhea, that kind of stuff. But it all comes back to saying, no, this is a conversation I would have with my family, mm -hmm. just as you should be having that conversation with your family mm -hmm. and saying your spectrum alignment may be different than my spectrum alignment. And if I end up saying, now again, we're using euthanasia as an example, right? So if we're saying that in one hand, I would be like, you know what, if this was my dog, I'd probably put it down. And then you treat Mm -hmm. And then we end up euthanizing. Mm -hmm. You're going to feel that much worse because mm -hmm. I said to you that I, well, he was right in the beginning and oh my God, I hate myself even more because I tried. It's like, and I tell people, <clears throat> it's not a fruitful conversation for me to have with you to tell you what I would do with my animal. Cause it's ultimately, it's not up to me. Well, it's going to amplify the other side too. Yeah. Because it's like, uh, if you do end up making that decision, yeah. uh, the, then all they're going to do is blame you yes. if they think that they should have treated. <laughs> yes. Like it's only going to make it worse. Yes. Yeah. I don't think that there's a positive way that that ends out. Yeah. Well, it's in the establishment of reality. So I, I mean a oh. positive way if you, if oh, you recommend if you end up, yeah. in action. <laughs> yes. I'm saying. Yeah, I'm it's saying a gamble. It, it, big, big time. Yeah. And I don't know, like, yeah. that's like playing roulette. Your odds are pretty awful. Yeah. I mean, I do like roulette, but anyway, <laughs> bad example. Uh, but no, a lot of it is that when you look at, again, our accountability chart between accountable and unaccountable, it's the weight, right? It's that, you know, we recognize there's a problem. We're kind of choosing to not act and we're going to have the veterinarian make the decision for us because we don't want to actually have to make the choice. That's unaccountability. Yes, so, for sure. Yeah, so for mm -hmm. us, we just, you know, again, that talk. But you do that so you can ultimately realize excuse and blame. Yes. That's typically why yeah. weight exists. So if we, as the veterinary team, uh, which again includes the caregiver, but as the veterinary professionals, um, we allow that perpetuation of thought and saying, what would you do if it was your animal? And then you answer, mm -hmm. you haven't actually brought them out of unaccountable behavior. Mm -hmm. You're allowing unaccountability to persist. Mm -hmm. So because they waited and you're allowing them to be unaccountable, 
like you said, if there's a problem, it's excuses and blame. Right. You said, you said, and this, and I paid this money, and I did this, and you, and this, and you, and this. And it's like, that's how that happens. But as soon as we change the conversation to not, not now we have accountability and core values. Now we have accountability within our team. We're extending that accountability over to the caregivers because they are part of our veterinary team and just saying, uh-uh, I need you to acknowledge the reality of this circumstance. I am here to talk about patient expense, and I am here to give your patient a voice in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is all sort of coming back from sort of having personal issues in the exam room, but that's the interconnectedness of this problem, right? That's the interconnectedness of people bringing in personal issues. Not everyone's going to bring in personal issues, Mm -hmm. but if you have someone who brings in personal issues and you meet that with, and you see that as a barrier and it's met with resistance, we, we're we're completely disregarding the human animal bond spectrum. Mm -hmm. We're completely disregarding the three expenses between um, financial, emotional, and physical, or at least, you know, for the patient, you know, we're completely disregarding these things. And I think that's why I take personal issues with not taking, or I I take issue with taking issue with personal issues, right? you know, um, because, you know, in, in the end here, it's if we talk about equality and we talk about inclusion, you know, I just bring it back to just saying like, what if, the, what if it was your mom? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what if it was someone's grandma and grandpa just died and this was grandpa's dog? Like people are going to come in with emotional issues or, mm-hmm. you know, ESAs, you know, kids with, you know, all of that stuff. It's just, you have to acknowledge that it's there, not in every case, but when the cases show up mm-hmm. and we have personal issues in the exam room, take it head on right. and bring people into accountable behavior. Exactly. It works every time. Yeah. Yeah, Every it, time. It, and that's uh, where the majority of our, our most glowing and high-quality reviews actually come from, yeah. too, is when they were not aware of uh, the the entire reality, and yeah. they were provided all of the detail necessary to make an informed decision on what to do, positively, negatively. Yeah. doesn't matter the result. The process in which uh, to get there was actually where we realized the greatest um, feedback yeah. from caregivers. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's because they're not disparaged, right? You know, it's right. they're not in an environment. I mean, they can be themselves. They can have what do we say? Vulnerability. Yeah. They can have these things, and it's a comfortable. It's not necessarily a quote unquote a safe environment. You know, safe space. Yeah. Um, you know, but it is something where we've allowed that, and it's yeah. just it takes four sentences, and mm-hmm. it does sort of humanize it, right? You know, and saying like, I understand that that's a part of this. Like, it, it's okay. Yeah. So I'd say for this one, you know, again, intention I think is there, yeah. um, but from an actual uh, creating an ideal result, it is it is acknowledge, but don't necessarily engage the emotional side. You have to acknowledge that it yeah. exists. You have to allow people the opportunity to feel emotion as it relates to patient care and, and how they have their own interconnectivity of how this patient is a part of their family and a yeah. part of their life. Yeah. However, it's not your job to fix it either. Yeah. Because if you try to fix it financially, you're going to just, that, that's compassion fatigue, yeah. right? Yeah. Or if you try to, if you try to fix it from an emotional, per- actually, that's probably I know what you're saying. Yeah, 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 but yeah. If, either way, if you fix it. Try to fix it emotionally. Then it's a, yeah. If you try to fix it in a way that you are not made to fix it, yes, you're just going to make it worse. Yes. So yeah, uh, yeah and, and like I said, I mean, honestly, when I talk about those three expenses, I'm gonna move on to number two here. Yeah. But honestly, when I talk about those three expenses, like I actually say to people, like on the emotional expense, I'm like, I'm not your therapist. Yeah. You know, and the lady this last weekend, she's like, um, you know, she was like, uh, could you try? <laughs> you know, I mean, she said it in jest, you know, right, I mean, but I was, right. I was just like, I'm like, I don't think so. Yeah. You know, and you know, but basically what I followed it up with is I said, I'm, I'm totally here to support your family in your decision. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I said, you know, I, I'm here to be supportive. Um, and in that supportive, uh, my main job is to bring patient data forward right. and it's to bring clarity to this problem. So yeah. I'm making sure you understand to the best of your capability because not everyone can understand everything because some things you got to dumb down, some things you got to smart up. Yep. Um, you know, so it's, uh, it's again, so. But, but what happens when you try to manage the emotional side? Yes. If you're, whether you're ignoring it or actively engaging it, not just acknowledging yes, it, yes. is that you will tend to lose the objectivity of patient data. Sure. Both sides. Yeah. Because you're going to miss things if you're ignoring it because you're trying to make sure that you don't have to engage on yeah. that level or you just get way too deep yeah. into the emotional stuff. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, they just miss yeah. all of the reality of patient data. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of, that was a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of things at a one right. point. Well, right. But that's the interconnectivity. The interconnectedness right. is that no, and, that, and that's why I think again, when the video was sent to me, it was like, you know, what do you think about these? And I'm like, well, I understand the jokes, yeah. you know, however, yep. if we take it one step further and really break this down and everything we've been talking about between accountable and uncountable behavior, core values, education, the whole thing, this is why when we start to look at how this is all related you got to fix core values. You got to make sure everyone's trained the same way. You got to make sure you got process because these are real day problems. And what we have are real day solutions. Mm-hmm. These are totally easy and it works yeah. damn near every time. Yeah. So, Absolutely. okay, uh, number two, here we go. Uh, put more faith in the internet than the veterinarian. The best way to keep a pet's teeth clean is to brush them daily. Actually, the best way to keep a pet's teeth clean is a metaphysical crystal dog collar. I read it on the internet. I, I don't, I don't think that's true. That's because you're a heartless man that only wants to sell dog food so you can put gas in your private helicopter. That's right, internet. So uh, this one, uh, th- this one, I think we've actually talked about several times. Uh, the the yes, Doctor Google in, idea, both yes. in podcast and out of podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, again, another common point because uh, mm-hmm. the one before was uh, the personal issues. Uh, this one coming into the trusting of the internet, right? Yeah. So Doctor Google, as it were, mm-hmm. um, is uh, I have the same thing. I have clients who come in and they're like, ah, you know, I'm sorry that I looked this up online. I'm like, uh, why are you apologizing to me? Yeah, like take any, 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 I don't want to say even young veterinarian, take most veterinarians in today's world. I mean, just because we have the veterinary information network, this sort of, you know, this website where we can go on and search things on the internet. We're saying that, oh, well we can go online and find all of these things, but you can't. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think the barrier then is saying, well, they can't look it up because they don't have objectivity. No, what they have is a tremendous amount of day to day data. Mm-hmm. They are there. 24, well, not 24-7, because presumably some people work. Right. But anyway, they are there consistently and constantly with these patients to find these subtleties. Um, I had, a, again, a patient this last weekend where um, it was uh, it, it exclusively had just a high globulin level. So there's a lot of different reasons why globulins can go up, but one of our concerns in very specific breeds is that it can be an indicator for cancer. There's an albumin globulin ratio. There's this whole thing. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Long story short, there was this one little point in having the conversation with these people, and it was, again, it was one of our long consults, you know, consults over uh, several hours, is... Um, um, basically in the downtime, what was like, oh, well, let's run urine. Let's see how urine looks. And that's going to take 20 minutes. The guy was sitting in the lobby on his phone. And he was just searching up rule outs for globulins. I had told him like maybe two or three, you know, I just said, it's just something we should 
talk about. It's there. Mm-hmm. It's not a one-to-one to a perfect diagnosis, but it's high enough that we can't really ignore it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so basically he comes back in the exam room. He's like, oh, and he's holding up his phone. He's like, oh, I just, you know, when I was in the lobby, I know I'm not supposed to, but I was looking up uh, what globulins. I'm like, who said you can't go on your phone in the lobby? Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, no. He's like, go on my phone to figure out what that is. I'm like, please do. Yeah. You know, I'm like, if you find data and you want, you know, cause you're going to have questions about it and you're going to want to know what this means. And could this potentially be a rule out? And it was, well, the dog had had some chronic skin issues. And is there a possibility high globulins could be from that? I'm like, well, technically antibodies are a type of globulin. I'm like, it's entirely possible. That's why it's up. It's just for me, I have to at least present this data in the sense where we at least have to acknowledge that it's there. Mm -hmm. And again, it still comes back to where I get these clients in where you can tell they've been disparaged. They've seen these videos where it's like, don't go online and find these things. Doctors hate it when you go online and find these things. It's like, no, no, if if we are hierarchical, we'll hate it. Yeah. If if we consider ourselves above clients, we're going to or caregivers, we're going to hate it. If we consider that knowledge is power, we're going to hate it. If we're going to acknowledge that because we have the power, we have that to hold over you, and I am mm-hmm. the only font of this information. Well, let's let's go ahead and, and merge that together with two concepts we have in our profession. So on one hand, it's going to be, I am the font of information, and how dare you go online? The other side is, I have imposter syndrome, and I feel like I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. How can you have both? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Oh. So, right? So, you know, it, on one yeah. hand, you know, it's like, we need to have the open flow of information. Right. We need them to come into the consultate, what we call education rooms, yeah. but for them to come into our place of consultation, for us to say, what have you been seeing at home and what do you think's wrong with your dog? I'll get, I'll get these vomiting two-year-old dogs in, right? Puking, right? Mm-hmm. I'll go through, okay, primary gastrointestinal rule outs, secondary gastrointestinal rule outs, or some tests we have for some things, some tests we don't have for other things. Of course, it's way longer than that because you know my uh, GI consults are an hour yeah, long. Right. We'll spare that for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, is uh, I always finish it with, I'm like, what do you actually think is wrong with your dog? Yeah. And they're like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, no, but like, honestly, just take a stab in the dark. What do you think's wrong with it? And what that does is, is it actually guides the conversation to what they are the most concerned about. Mm-hmm. It's not what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about the 30 different rule outs that it could be. That's mm-hmm. my concern. Yeah. But they're coming in being like, God, you know, I really just, I really just think that it, he could have, he probably ate a dead carcass outside. I didn't ask if it ate any dead carcasses. Right. My whole talk path wasn't about dead carcasses. Mm-hmm. That's a reality in northern Wisconsin. Oh yeah. You know, so it's it's again it's it's a way in which we sort of engage the flow of information between caregivers to ourselves and ourselves to caregivers by saying, I don't care if you got stuff online. I don't care if you got it in a breeder magazine. I don't care if you got it on anywhere. Just yeah. what do you have? Let's talk about it. Yeah. But that goes to the fact that when you look at the problem is that you don't personally feel a loss of self-worth. Sure. So, and that to me raises the self-analysis question to those that might be listening to this. What is the point of the consultation and uh, clinical history acquisition and going through informed consent? Is it to uh, understand where your patient, where the patient is to ultimately describe physical expense and be able to provide care? Or is it to inflate your own self-worth? Sure. Because if you're just being the font of information and you're just saying you shouldn't do that or that information is incorrect, why would you do that? You should just come to me. All you're trying to do is inflate yourself. Yep. 
and to me, that actually does act, d- that mentality, especially if it's from a place where it's like not true ego, right? Creates imposter syndrome. Yeah, I have to hold this high mount because if I don't, they're going to see me as lower and they're not going to take me seriously because yeah. I'm afraid of the internet. Yes, it, it, they actually are. Yes, greatly interconnected. <laughs> yes, but if you have the vulnerability and humility yeah. of just owning the fact that it's like. I know a lot of stuff, but I don't know your patient as well as you do. Right. Like, let's talk about it. Right. Let's have a conversation because ultimately we're here to serve the patient, not to serve myself, right. not to serve your emotional needs, yeah. anything like that. Yeah. It all comes down to uh, serve the patient, and that eliminates hierarchy. That eliminates disparagement. It's yes. engagement. Yes. It's vulnerability, and it's trying to create an implementable solution. Absolutely. And it and you can use the internet to do that. By the way, yes, right. Like if you if you're if you are afraid of what the internet says and it's going to impact you emotionally to the point where you can't think coherently, maybe you should stay off. It, like <laughs> off the internet, right? Yeah. But that's so There's a lot of clickbait. Well, in like WebMD, right? It's yeah, so like yeah, I yeah. have a buddy that goes on WebMD all the time, yeah. and he's like thinks he has cancer every three weeks. Sure, yeah. But I like, feel that. <laughs> not that hard to get to that point yeah but uh, but ultimately like in in, information um is power but it's not necessarily power that you have to swing at somebody else yeah no 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 no. and and that's where again i think it still perpetuates the idea of us versus them it's our information versus your information and i think you know part of what it boils down to is it is kind of reading the audience right reading the room because i mean there's going to be some things that you don't necessarily want to engage like you know the and like i said I, i think when i have uh people come in and they start to, you know, uh, go a bit more into the spiritual realm, you Mm -hmm. know, in in that capacity where it's the energy and those types of things, um, is I don't disregard it as false because you have to accept that one, um, we're only as good as our, our tests, right? So, I mean, it was the concept of zero. I'm not going to totally get into it, but it was the concept of zero is that before we had the ability to test parts per million, we just thought zero was zero. And then once we could test parts per million, Mm -hmm. then parts per billion, parts per trillion. So yeah. it's only, you're only as good as the test, right? So I, I was, and I, I say that to people, they're like, you know, and I said, maybe we just don't have a test to figure out that this stone collar is actually what's preventing the issue in your patient. Mm-hmm. Um, but one, one, it's not harming anything, right? Mm-hmm. To, to have that. Um, but then I lead it up with then essentially on, well, I respect that you have, you know, you think that this may be helping. Um, what I've been taught and what I've found, because it's the conversation point, is saying what I've found, what I've been taught is that, you know, from a dental disease standpoint, you know, we look more at enzymatic pastes than we do, uh, you know, actual just like abrasive paste that humans have, you know, because enzymatic is a little bit different, dental disease in dogs. And sometimes, and I make the joke, I'm like, you know, sometimes we'll have, uh, you know, people who get their teeth cleaned three times a year and they still have cavities. I'm like, some dogs are the same way too. Some are more prone to dental disease. Some, some cats are more prone to dental disease than others. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, so what we have is sort of, you know, that Western side of things to say, no, we find these trends and diseases. And, you know, a lot of times when we look at really bad teeth, it can lead to heart infections. It mm-hmm. can lead to kidney infections. It can t- lead to a lot of these other things. So I just tell people, I say, listen, um, go ahead and give that a shot, you know, see, see if that works. Um, but just know that um, each year when we kind of have this physical exam, I'm going to continue to point it out because I'm most concerned about 
if your patient continues to have really poor off dental care, that it's going to get sick in other ways. And I just want to make sure that that doesn't happen. But I totally respect that you may not necessarily feel that same way. And and that's it. It's just it comes back to informed consent, but Mm -hmm. we've guided it back towards serving the patient collectively. And it's not you're an idiot for thinking that the stone collar is going to fix this patient's condition. You know, it's like, no, it's fine. You you can have that opinion. I'm not here going to I'm not going to. And basically what I'm getting at is I'm not going to battle people on some of these things just because I want to be right. It's, it's again, it's the acknowledgement component. I'm just going to acknowledge that you think that's right just because I don't. It doesn't mean you don't, but I'm at least going to give you my part and then you're going to do with it whatever you want. Well, and that's the way that it's actually addressed in the, in the, the sketch that's in here is no, that's wrong. Yes. Like right. as soon as you say that, it is. What are our two things, right? Inefficient process, but unnecessary conflict. Right. That's exactly what that right. is. Right. Like, um, why? Even if you firmly, one hundred percent, believe uh, yes. that it is inaccurate, false, whatever it might be, yeah. by you saying no, that is incorrect. Right. Like all. Like there's a conflict. there's a defense mechanism that yes. people have built in, whether it's regarding yeah. their family or their ideas, and yeah. this would be their idea. Yeah. And like they're yeah. they're now in a defense mode. Yes. They're not in a problem solving and building mode. Yeah. Because anything you say after that. It's over. Right. It's how dare you. And then the the, the, yeah. the hamster wheels run in their yeah. head the whole time. He's wrong. Well, I read this and it's a reliable source. And they're just talking at him, but they're yeah. not, they're not hearing you. Right. You know, so, and that's where I, you know, again, it's have the vulnerability. You know, I really haven't heard anything like that before. Um, and then it comes down to uh, how uh, everyone uh, says is, it's about, what I typically give the uh, advice on controlling the conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, about, I answer questions um, that people didn't even know they asked. Right. right. So that's, uh, and Janessa calls me Senator Riolo for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it comes back to saying, you know, I'm just, I'm not, you know, I really haven't heard anything, you know, that doesn't, I'm not really sure, but let me tell you about, and then boom, you got like five minutes where you're just like, yeah, I just kind of, let me give you a whole bunch of stuff. You know, and I, and you kind of unload it to them. Some of the stuff they may, you know, it's like, and so I think the second part of that was then saying, well, that's because you're in the pockets of, you know, you know, big pharma or whatever happens. And, you know, I'll say, you know, I say, man, yeah, I know. I, I think I'd have a lot student, I'd have a lot less student loans if that were true. Um, you, know, or, you know, you try, you try to make funny of it, right? So I mean, that's right. the context of this conversation or of the, of the video is you try to make fun of it. Um, you know, but what I, when I come back to is then it's, it comes down to what? The affordability component. Mm-hmm. So if we're, you know, for us, our um, dental cleanings, you know, dental x-rays and, uh, uh, you know, a really, really complete package, all meds, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's like 375. Yeah. If we have to do extractions, including that 375, it just ticks up one level on one to five roots. It's for 525, 525. Uh, 750 and a thousand. So yeah. for, for a us, ceiling. Yeah, a ceiling. It always, ceiling. yeah, price ceiling. So it, it caps, our, our dental prices cap. Uh, yeah. 375 is cleaning flat rate across the board. Cat, dog, big dog, little dog, big cat, little cat, doesn't matter. 375 cleaning, uh, you know, full mouth x-rays, all that kind of stuff. Um, but then to price cap these things, I say, listen, I understand that a lot of um, out-of-pocket expense in our profession uh, can sometimes compromise care. I understand that sometimes things are affordable, and you may have the perspective that I'm in the pockets of some of these big pharma companies. Um, but you know, and that's like how I kind of finished. I say, you know, we see a lot of kidney, you know, a lot of kidney. I, I see kidney infections all the time, mm-hmm. um, heart infections not too often. But um, you know, come and say, no, we really have bad periodontal disease that leads to these other issues. But what we've done here is is that we've made our services both affordable and available. 
available. Mm -hmm. And our biggest thing is, is that we have these sort of price caps for cleanings. You're going to go get your teeth clean at the dentist. It can run you 150 bucks, 200 bucks. We're not too much further than that. So it's going to be a very similar cleaning price to what people are going to get for their own cleanings. But then we also have on the process side, because we're talking about process, is we also have the financing component mm -hmm. is that we have the ability to finance up to four years. And I tell people that I say, if you have to go for a thousand dollar tooth extraction, that's 10 plus roots, by the way, mm -hmm. any patient who has more than 10 roots. So like a whole mouth extraction is, you know, if you have to take 11 roots out versus whole mouth, it's all a thousand. It doesn't matter. It's just mm -hmm. going to cap there. And then you have four years to pay it back. Mm -hmm. You know, it takes the money element out of it saying, no, I am really trying to serve your patient because we're working on expense, we're on these things. Um, and again, it, it, it's a way of, you know, she didn't ask me how much our dental prices are. Mm -hmm. Didn't ask what extractions are. Didn't ask me about kidney infections. Didn't ask about this. But it was like, does this caller do this? And you're in the pockets of big pharma. Yeah, I understand you ask those questions, but I'm going to tell you a whole bunch of stuff. And those things are going to help serve your patient. And in the meanwhile, maybe in its little bit, I'm actually going to be able to educate you. But I'm not going to say that you're wrong. I'm just right. going to deter the question. And it's it, Right. And it's not to say that they aren't incorrect. Uh, correct. Yes. But yes. if you say that they are wrong, yes. you have officially lost control yes. of the conversation. <laughs> yes. Of yourself, really. Yeah. Um, but yes, absolutely. Yes, of the conversation. So um, anyway, yeah, I know we're starting to ramble. I think we're getting close right. to an hour. But yeah, I, we just right. let this run long, but um, we're doing all right. So yeah. Number three, they tell different stories to the staff than they do to the vet. Okay, so can you think of any reason why Wilson would be vomiting? <sighs> no, I can't think of anything that could be causing that. So here Wilson's throwing up. He ate an entire meatloaf. Oh, that's not in the notes. Uh, the bigger issue to me on this one is that it is, a, it is a lack of trust across the entire patient care team. And having uh, barriers ultimately with caregivers um, to uh, to that trust between all levels of staff. Sure. And I think on, on our end, um, you know, I'll let you touch on the on the the root of the problem because you created the solution before we knew there was a full problem on it. Yeah, is that um, our team edifies itself ten times over across the entire uh, in intake versus discharge process. Yeah, um, like everyone is like provided the the means to succeed within a specific role, and everyone understands the value of each role. And that is just edified across the entire process. It's not like uh, one of the things that I, I know you catch yourself on, actually, and I know you're working on is, number one, you're transitioning language from technicians to nurse. Yeah. Right. So it's it's it is a language piece that is edification for the role yep. because it is very similar, if not more complex than a human nurse. Yes. Yep. But, but, but also avoiding, even though it is with, um, not with, uh, without malintent referring to them as the girls. Yes. Right. Yes. So even removing that yes. from the, from your language, yep. but all of that is preemptive to get in front of a lack of trust with caregivers yeah. as it relates to our technical staff and our medical support staff. Yeah. So a lot of things there. So, um, kind of, what is your experience with that uh, as it relates to clinical history acquisition process uh, and lack of trust with caregivers uh, outside of a veterinarian? Yeah. So I, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I, th I think there's several 
separate context we should probably address. So yeah. one, of course, is for us, we predominantly see sick patients. Yep. So a lot of our clientele is going to end up because it's walk in, right? So it's mm -hmm. what come as you are, whatever it is, we'll help you out. Um, so that being said, a lot of the times if we come in with vomiting or they come in with, um, you know, with their check in sheets where it's a short description of clinical history, current meds, you know, that kind of stuff. So that's one, you know, it's one context. The other one, of course, is then kind of your routine wellness. Mm hmm. And that's going to be where, you know, again, process, whatever, I think in the majority of your clinics, it's going to be your veterinary, uh, your uh, veterinary nurses, technicians, medical support staff, they're getting most of that data for you. Um, and again, like you said, it comes down to in both scenarios is, you know, one potentially perception of value, but I think the core value component of trust and respect and unity is that's where for us, I don't want to say that I've taken away the technician's ability to obtain a clinical history. Mm -hmm. um, it's just more efficient if only one person takes a clinical history. Right. And if we look at saying in a hospital setting, you know, again, in ours, it's more applicable in saying that for our, um, our process for sick patients, which again, tend to be the more sort of involved cases, unless you have a well patient with a lot of ailments. I mean, that's yeah. kind of a different scenario. Mm -hmm. um, but the idea being that, um, our veterinary nurses and you know our support staff, um, we have them running so many tasks simultaneously between you know estimates to charges to patient care to injections to restraint to catheters. Um, is I say that really our job as veterinarians is to do physical exams. Um, talk to caregivers and ultimately type medical records. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have, of course, the diagnosis and prognosis and surgery component to it because that's by law. But when you look at it from a process standpoint, we should be doing like the majority of the history acquisition process because we have better triggers mm -hmm. and ultimately what's going to uh, trigger words. So ultimately what's going to end up happening like I'll have, you know, I'll have a, a clinical history and it, and it is a skill. Clinical history is as much of a skill as physical exam is. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is just finding, a lot of it is in reading the room. So if I have, um, I'm sending in a technician to get a clinical history from these people and it's like, my dog's having seizures. And they come back and they're like, this dog's having seizures. And I go and I talk to him like, I hear your dog's having seizures. Yeah, he was sitting there the other day and he was just panting and he was kind of quivering, you know, and, and, he, and he had just vomited. And I'm like, Okay, so so this individual technician, yes, I have to go and speak with this technician about, hey, um, let's try to differentiate between uh, seizures and uh, actual just like anxiety and discomfort because this animal just puked its brains out and it probably right. isn't feeling great. So the mm -hmm. tremoring wasn't actually a seizure. It was just like, oh my God, my guts hurt. Yeah. Um, now I'm not saying, because again, in our education system and saying, no, we actually can include that in our skills rubric mm -hmm. um, to then say in our skills rubric, we're going to work on active clinical history for, these, for the technical support staff and I do think that as as the future of what we're defining as the new profession is that as our new profession moves forward and that we start to use our uh, veterinary nurses more as uh, PAs and physicians assistants and nurse practitioners I think that this is an opportunity for us to continue to train our in-house staff to acquire these really really in-depth clinical histories where they can actually get all the data we need to make a four-second diagnosis mm -hmm. well that world doesn't exist yet so right. that can be the long-term goal but if what we're saying is that currently current trend is that from a unity and trust and respect standpoint that maybe we have a caregiver group who's coming in that doesn't understand who tr I'm sorry who trusts the veterinarian more than they trust the medical support staff we just have to acknowledge not necessarily that we should battle that trust um, and respect um, but we should actually lean into it and mm -hmm. in saying that okay 
if I'm constantly going to acquire a more thorough clinical history than my veterinary support staff, because one, where we have a full breadth of veterinary knowledge. I mean, our trigger words for saying vomiting versus regurgitation to some of these things, um, we're just gonna be quicker to you know jump on that and not spend a lot of time in clinical history. But we lean into it in saying that, oh, if I'm gonna obtain a full clinical history, have your technician uh, or veterinary nurse uh, spend that time somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So if we can get them into another exam room to prep the next patient, to get TPRs, to um, get treatments on an animal to from medical support staff, make sure and review the invoice that it's accurate. We can, mm-hmm. you know, we start to say in-house clinical treatment. So that's when we start to talk about my one to six ratio of medical yeah. staff and saying, hey, let's lean into um, what it is we have an expectation of care and saying that um, now, again, I'm not going over discharges. I'm not going over how to pill animals. I'm not saying you need to give right. one pill three times a day because I'm leaning into the veterinary nurse staff and the veterinary or the medical support staff and saying, no, that is a delegatable responsibility that there shouldn't be any conflict on. Right. But if we're trying to minimize keystrokes, minimize footsteps, minimize time and maximize efficiency, um, we need to lean into the fact that in current state of our profession, the vast majority of people are going to have more clarity and they're going to provide a better clinical history to the veterinarian. Yeah. So it's not that the caregivers are making things more difficult. It's our staunch sort of adherence of old process and an unwilling to change in a traditional profession. We're saying, no, lean into it and actually support and give your support staff other roles that can maximize their time to make you faster so that you can get a better clinical history. We've said multiple times, how do I stay in an exam room to do a GI consultation for an hour? Because that's what I'm good at, you know, and I have my other medical support. I run out five different orders before I even go into that room. I need this and this and this and this on that patient and those three and this needs to get done. And when I come back, I have the expectation that it'll be done. Yeah. You have an hour to do it. Right. Well, shit, <laughs> we just served We just served five patients right. while I was doing one thing. Right. So that's, that's again, coming into the, to the nurse history part. It's, it is a trust based on position, but we can lean into it, but then increase unity with the team because we all have our own responsibilities. And ultimately, accountability because you're yeah. setting people up to succeed. Yes. And you're you're not intentionally allowing that to occur. Right. So if you have where the veterinary support staff is getting a different clinical history, then it's going to start to affect that veterinary support staff's connection with that caregiver. How dare you not trust me enough to give me that information? I looked dumb to my veterinarian because I didn't have that information because you didn't tell me and you told it to them, you know? So it's, it's just, it's, there's too much unnecessary conflict. Exactly. And, and purely out of, uh, an inefficient and yeah. ultimately archaic process. Essentially, in this instance. yeah. The, yep. we, we, we have maintained holding onto the square peg, but the size of the hole and the shape of it has ultimately changed. <laughs> so. Ooh, yep, not touching that one. Nope. All so, right, okay. so on, number, four. number four. They get embarrassed and don't exactly tell the truth. So Mikey's gained a pound. Are you sure we're not feeding him anything from the table? No, no, we give him a half a cup twice daily. Actually, mom feeds him from the table every night. So do you. All right, so here we go. Uh, so this actually just leads off of point three. Yeah. Right. So this kind of yeah. leads into saying there's a little bit of overlap on point three, point four, um, and basically now it's saying that there's the embarrassment factor, right? Yep. So you're you're gonna have what? So we're not trusting. There's not truth there, right? Mm-hmm. So um, what I actually say, and again, I know in this particular example they used food, right? Yep. So what I tell people, I have a very 
pragmatic clinical history. I'm very systematic when I go through it. But part of my talk path when I tell people is, and we're talking about uh, diet now, um, and uh, you know how do you feed your dog? Uh, food sits out twice a day. You know, I've measured quantities. The thing's morbidly obese, so I know that either it has a hormonal condition or they're overfeeding on caloric intake. Um, has access to the cat's food, so you try to kind of flesh those things out. Mm -hmm. And I say. Um, I said this next line of I say I said this next line of questioning. You're going to have this knee jerk reaction to just say no, not me, not my dog. It doesn't happen in my household. There's no chance, no way, no how. I said, but I need to know what else goes into that dog's mouth. <laughs> I said I don't, I don't, and I don't say people food. I said I need to know what else goes in that dog's mouth. I yeah. said I don't care if it's a new thing. I don't care if you've been doing it for the last six months. I don't care if you've been doing it for the animal's entire life. I don't need you to justify me what is going in that dog's mouth or how much. I don't want you to say it's a little bit or a lot of bit. I don't care about that. What goes into its mouth? Mm -hmm. And um, they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, okay, so, uh, you know, uh, cheeses and hot dogs and meat scraps and pizzas and, you know, fast mm -hmm. food and French fries and, oh, no, oh, no. But it's, sometimes you have to run the list, you know, where you're just like, okay, uh, grains and crackers and, you know, vegetables. And they're, oh, well, yeah, we do all of that. You know, okay, all right. well, dogs can have vegetables. So it's not exclusively a people food because they can have that, right? So it's this yeah. mindset for them on just however they define it. Um, so I tell people, no, not me, no way, no how. I say, okay. Totally fine. Some people aren't that way. I said the reality is um, when we uh, go through this because your your uh, little uh, schnauzer is here for vomiting, mm -hmm. um, and now again there are some primary if we diagnose pancreatitis, I mean, it's one of those breeds where it can happen in. Um, but I say, listen, um, if I run blood work and I run out pancreatic enzymes and we see they have pancreatitis, I said, here's the reality: um, is uh, in an ounce of cheese. So actually, Royal Cannon had done this study where a single ounce, and I do this people, a single ounce of cheese in a 20 pound dog is the human equivalent of three cheeseburgers. Oh. I said, so I don't care what you think you're giving, and it may or may not be a problem. Mm -hmm. I said, but I just need to know what because it's going to help me spend your money more efficiently. Right. I said, and, and I say, so if, um, and, and this is still part of the history. I've gone over any blood work we haven't done anything it's just the history side i said so if we can just have some clarity on the people food stuff i said i'm not going to force you into saying you give your dog people food i said but if you're giving any it may actually be an explanation on why your patient is here more importantly as part of your clinical history we already identified that your dog has chronic anal gland problems and it has mixed bowel diarrhea three times per month so we should at least probably start to consider that in the last two to three years having diarrhea three to four times per month isn't normal you mm -hmm. don't have to you don't have to know it's normal i'm telling you it's not normal right. now um, but i'm going to try to find a common tread into saying hey you've been having your dog's been having diarrhea three times a month for the past three years and today you're coming in because there's blood in the stool i said we need to we need to recognize that we've actually been having diarrhea for the last two to three years it's just now there's blood in it mm -hmm. so for us to say whether you do or don't give people food i don't care whether you do or you don't we just need to accept that if you are giving people foods there may be some consequences um in how it relates to your presenting complaint today mm -hmm. and they're like well, I mean, sometimes we give stuff. <laughs> okay. All right. You know, and then I kind of laugh and I'm like, well, yeah. yeah. And as I tell people, I said, listen, it's all about disparagement. I said, yeah. when I had a dog, I gave him stuff. I know I shouldn't, right. like, but I did, yeah. you know, and it's like, but I was willing to accept that if there was a problem that came with it, you know, I just under, I put those two things together. Mm -hmm. I said, so I'm not going to be here. And you know, I mean, you know, there's veterinarians <laughs> who tell you you can't give people foods. I said, I'm not going to be a veterinarian who sits here and chastises you because you give people food. Um, Dr. Katie had a client where it was an old lady who she traveled between here and Florida and basically just gave her dog chronic recurrent pancreatitis all the time. She was 85 years old. It's mm -hmm. her only companion. She just loved to give that thing chicken or whatever the hell she was giving it. Yeah. And it was basically just when my dog gets pancreatitis, 
pancreatitis and diarrhea, I'm just going to shell out a ton of money, whether I'm in Florida or in Wisconsin, but this is how I love my dog. Mm -hmm. This is how I love my animal. So now I'm going to take that away from it. It's like, oh, it's cruelty. You're causing these diseases. And how dare you? How dare you? Yeah, that's disparagement. Mm -hmm. You're you're now saying that, you know, because not every dog has those problems. And she, yeah, she dialed it back a little bit. She's not giving as much people foods and she recognized those things are connected. But it's kind of like, and I tell people, I'm like, I can't, I can't fault you for what is your human nature. Mm -hmm. We just have to acknowledge that if you continue down that path, you're going to have constant problems. It's the same thing with smoking, right? Same thing with anything that harms your body. It's like, you know that there's going to be a consequence as long as you know there's going to be a consequence. And it's not like, oh, my dog has pancreatitis and I'm going to let him just sit in a corner for five days and barf his brains out. It's like, oh, I'm taking him to the vet, making him better, getting the drugs. It's all about the education piece and serving the patient. If Mm -hmm. our barrier is people foods, we got the wrong barrier, right? You know, it's, it's, it's that it's the two way conversation. I'm basically saying there's no, there's no need for us to be embarrassed about some of these things where it's like, you shouldn't do this. You know, it's like, well, it's my dog. I'm gonna do what I want. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, no, we just have to understand that there's going to be some variables that we can't control, but we just need to educate the people enough to understand that it's not, there's going to be complications. There's going to be issues. Um, and I don't think that they are necessarily making it difficult to be embarrassed about these things because we've taught them to be embarrassed about them. Yeah, right. I, I'd say that that uh, it, it's that it is definitely that fear of disparagement uh, as it relates to it to the caregiver because again that's that's the chair that I sit in more yeah. often than the medical side like 100 percent of the time I am not medically trained in any way. Yeah. Um, but I I actually had been in those shoes years ago yeah. where it's like, oh, uh, so I have no idea what's going on, but I know it's not good. Yeah. And I don't know, like, I'm just afraid of like the, just like being honest with somebody because they're going to tell me like how many times I screwed up yeah. and like, it makes me really uncomfortable and I don't necessarily enjoy it. So there's yeah. a, there's a level of, of, of yeah. real fear there yeah. that, um, if I were to walk, have walked into an environment that was ultimately, and actually did once, uh, where it was like, yeah, way to go, dumbass. Right. Um, right. Like, d- what makes me want to go back there? Right. Like, um, right. Um, unless you are a miracle worker, which doesn't exist yeah. uh, on, on the medical side, where it's like, yep, I was dumb and you fixed it. Yep. And now it's like, which, again, yeah. you said it's not magic. Yeah. Um, there's no, yeah, no magic in medicine. But on the other side of that, there's also the, the fear of, um, post-care disparagement by the staff. Sure. So they're going to push even harder to try and defend their point because if they don't, and ultimately that patient realizes a negative result, um, and then they are then disparaged online, um, they're, they're, if that happens once, now they're going to see caregivers as potentially as an enemy. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Well, and it comes back, I think we said a few podcasts ago about how um, I can take better care of your cat than you can, and you don't yeah. deserve to have this cat. Like that's That, I think, is a very significant reality. Yeah. Um, but when you look at, again, saying, well, where is this embarrassment factor coming from? We've trained them into being embarrassed. A lot of it comes down to guilt. A lot of it, you know, I mean, how many, again, and then I I think I take the extreme of euthanasia in a lot of these examples. Yeah. Proves the point though. But when I have uh, end of life consultations where it's like, you know, I got a uh, seven year old dog. I mean, you know, let's just say it's a boxer. It's early onset cancer, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Sucks for the breed. It happens. Um, So I'll have people who ask me, they have in no way, shape or form caused this in any capacity. Yeah. They're like, is there something I could have done? I, 
I, I didn't, did I not catch this soon enough? Did I not recognize the symptoms? I, 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 me, me, me. And it's all, and what are they doing? They're blaming themselves, yeah. blaming themselves, blaming themselves, blaming themselves. I said, hold on a second here. I'm like, that doesn't help our conversation at all. Mm -hmm. I said, whether you could or could not have caught something earlier, like, oh, when the patient started to eat less three weeks ago and you didn't come in until now, it's like, yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe we could have treated things sooner. I was like, but we have a diagnosis now. We know it's lymphoma. You're not going to go for oncology. So the last three weeks you've spent good time with your dog. You mm -hmm. know, it's, it's the best, you know, potentially could have been maybe steroids would have made a difference. Maybe it wouldn't have. Yeah. I said, but the reality is right now, this is our diagnosis. And I don't, I, and I tell people, I said, I don't, I don't care whether you recognize it or not. The reality is we're recognizing it now. Mm -hmm. Now we have this, now we can start to move forward. I said, it doesn't do us any good to look behind us. Right. And I'll even bring up, I'll say, if we bring it as a learning point, yeah, that's fine. Um, but then it goes the same way. The guilt is, you know, it's like, especially when I have um, like my pancreatitis cases where it's like, um, you know, there's a 40 fold increase in the development of pancreatitis when patients are fed high fatty foods, either as a single occurrence or as a chronic occurrence. So I always make the say, it's like, all right, well, a holiday rolls around. The dog never gets any people food and it eats the entire, you know, turkey skin and fat pan, um, yeah. you know, versus the other way where it's, uh, you know, a little foo-foo who gets a hunk of cheese every night for the last five years. Yeah. Okay. 40 fold increase in the probability of having pancreatitis. Um, so again, the, the guilt factor is that sometimes there are some diseases where we can draw a line between you did this and it caused that. Mm -hmm. But how is that helpful? You, you didn't have your dog on a leash and it got hit by a car. Why the hell do I need to tell you your dog got hit by a car because it wasn't on a leash? <laughs> right. Right. You know, so it's like, you know, there's there's parts of it where I think, again, it's it's the it's the argument and it's the choosing one's battles is mm -hmm. that if, again, our two solutions are educate the caregiver and serve the patient. If instead of talking about fault and because as soon as we're like you are at fault, that's number two on unaccountable behavior. Right. You're at fault. You caused this. Why did you feed that way? And why did you where did it? That's blaming. Yeah. It's like. Well, studies have shown 40-fold increase. This may have been a risk factor, but some patients develop the spontaneous disease as well that you wouldn't be at fault for. But I even come back to saying fault doesn't really even matter here mm -hmm. because for us, we have, some, we, have, we have reality. We have to own that reality. We have to create solutions and implement. Let's figure out how we're going to minimize financial expense, minimize emotional expense, and minimize uh, as ultimately physical expense to the patient. That's right. what our goal is moving forward. I don't care who's at fault for that. Exactly. Uh, what that kind of rolls down to when we were uh, actually, uh, not this most recent staff meeting, but the one before, that was when the educate the caregiver thing came out. Yeah, yeah, one yeah. of the big things that we had talked about in that meeting was if somebody walks in the door, be thankful that they're there. Absolutely. Because they're there to acquire a shared reality with yes. somebody that is a veterinary professional. Yes. And... Uh, I believe AVMA's most recent stats is 35% of canines have no primary care at all and 50% of felines have no primary care at all. And like when I'm taking phone calls, 50 to 60% simply don't show up. Sure. Like that's huge, yeah. right? So now you're down to 40% of people that are even willing to take that step. And why in the world would you try to take away from that? You have to encourage it. You have to yeah. engage it. And laying blame on people that ultimately detracts from reality does not help. Yeah. So if you take the pancreatitis case, like yep. laid out reality, and if you're willing to own that yeah. and create solutions when it happens, do your thing. Right. Right. If, if it was, uh, there, we're, we have the avoidance of blame in this instance as it relates to the way that the veterinary professionals are coaching where it's like, well, I'm going to give you everything and I'm going to tell you the right way to do this. I'm going to tell you how you suck so you can't blame me. 
Yes. That's what happens. Yes. So rather, and that's a self-defense mechanism, yes. loss of self-worth is in there, bond spectral alignment's in there. Yep. A lot of things are in that one thought. Yes. Um, however, in, in, in this instance, accountability was already in place. Yeah, right. She knew what the solution was, and she was ready, willing, and able to implement that solution. Yeah. And have her bond spectrum alignment. Yep. It was, she actually had both sides yeah. right there. Yeah. And yeah, was it quote unquote best care? Yeah. Probably not. Yeah. Was it maximizing the uh, physical health of the patient? Probably not. But guess what? I eat like crap too. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's really, to me, right. what it comes down to. Yeah. She was already at reality. Right. She actually was already to implement right. the solutions right. that up to that point had existed. And, and that was the education part. She knew. Yeah. She knew. And, but the thing was, is she wasn't sleeping on it. Yeah. Oh, when my patient vomits once, I'm rushing to the vet. Yeah. Because I'm going to get this pill, this pill, this liquid, this liquid, this shot, this shot. Because I know that as soon as these symptoms flare up, I can minimize the amount of pain and suffering my patient has by yeah. just doing this. Right. It's like, okay. Right. Okay. Easy, yep. Easy going. Right. Um, but, but again, if, um, if that reaction were to be met with disparagement of you can't do that yeah. or it's your fault yeah. that this happened, right. like, I'm, I'm not, not going to go back there. Speech it's a non-productive speech path. Because even if it's the only place that's available after hours, she's just going to walk in next time right. and just be like, I don't need to hear your crap. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't need the spiel. Yeah. Like, this yeah. Is, these are the drugs I got last time. Right. Go away. Yeah. Just, I know I have to come here to get this. Right. And holy crap, those conversations suck. Yeah. Those yeah. are not fun. Yeah. So it, it is definitely two-sided, but ultimately stop trying to find, like, can, can you root cause? Absolutely. Especially yeah. if it's a curious case, like the, like yeah. the five-year-old boxer, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, is there something else that's going on here? Let's get to the point of... Yeah. Not necessarily blaming, yeah. but getting to a shared reality. That's what problem solving is. Problem yeah. solving is not for the intention of blaming. It is for no. this is what it is. Yes. What parts can we... Yes. Yeah. Well, the theme of our oh. education system is it's a growth mindset. Right. It's not a reprimand yeah. mindset. I think that's what you're trying to drive well, the, at. And this is the thing. I'm actually having a, a bit of an epiphany sure. in the middle of this sentence yes. is typically the way that people will read own it is... Yes, that was my fault. Correct. But I think that actually goes another step further and says, I can own this because I have the control over it. I can make a difference here. Yes. Even if it, the uh, original uh, result was not ultimately my fault, if I realize that I have control over it, I can ultimately own this problem Absolutely. that exists yeah. and I can create a solution. Extreme It's ownership. not about blame. It's yeah. about creation. Yes. So... Tip, those yes. two things can get mixed up, so I wanted to make that pretty darn clear, as yeah. a, actually, mostly to myself, honestly. But uh, <laughs> it was very helpful. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean, honestly, even if you guys look at um, what is in our uh, culture and core values, the defining accountability section is that is own it. It's, you know, people um, here own problems and acknowledge their responsibilities, and they're not here to blame or to make excuses. You're exactly right. It's yeah. just, it's the next step up. The next thing after own it is just solutions and implementation. Right. And that is then ultimately the definition and, or what we were defining as a 
accountability is a personal choice to rise above oneself and own the event and implement the solution. That's mm -hmm. accountability. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, you're exactly right. It's just us just saying like, don't be the barrier to someone else's process. Mm -hmm. That's ultimately, if we're getting in the middle and we can't, you know, we stop it, own it. And it's, it, again, we're talking, then we come back into the blaming category. You already had someone who was in high accountability. They were already at the point of having the reality and owning it. And now you're just going to come back to blame. Yeah. That's then going back into unaccountable behavior. Right. So yeah, just move to the solution. And ultimately, like when we don't get to that shared reality, that's where this embarrassment factor comes yeah. in. Like they're yeah. they're waiting for this blame. They're yeah. they're they're afraid of it. So if I can just avoid it, if I can wait until the point that this is just not a problem anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then here's number five. And the number one way that pet owners can make veterinary medicine difficult is waiting too long to bring in sick pets. Happy New Year. So, when did this problem start? October 2006. All right, there we go, we're back. So now it's the too long for care. Yeah, oh. Yes. So mm. it, it led perfectly into, uh, yeah. from point number four on yeah. that thought. Absolutely, so um, this is something that we realize often. This yeah. is uh, yes. a big part of the, um, the talk path that I have with people on a day-to-day -day basis of like, can I wait until Monday? Yes, uh, phone call. Talk phone path. calls, phone yes. calls, yes. yes. Uh, and ultimately, you know, the, the way that that talk path goes for me is it's uh, similar to the informed consent uh, with understanding the cost of patient care and all that sort of stuff is I don't know your situation. I cannot make that decision for you. However, we are available for you on a 24-7 basis and affordable. Like this is where we start and we go from there. Yeah. Uh, I don't necessarily say yes, no, no or otherwise um it's just here we are yeah um care doesn't have to wait yes uh, yes. It, yes that's really what it comes down that's to so and, and i do say that pretty yeah. darn often on the phone and you know some people do some people don't it is yeah. what it is but um i think a lot of times the barrier that um either i'm unable to overcome or uh people are not able to overcome on their end is ultimately fear they're afraid of the unknown. If they've never been to our practice before, there's the perception that it's after hours and emergency is going to cost a fortune right. or something right. like that. Because what we had talked about last week yep. with like a hundred dollar yeah. additional up exam charge. up charge yeah. for no reason. Right. Um, the, the industry well, no has justifiable kind of, reason. Uh, right. <laughs> um, the, the industry and kind of the way that um, these things have gone on in, in the first four points has led people yeah. to the to the lack of desire for change yep and to me like um, again going back to the ultimate reason why we're here of serve the patient is like that's it's legitimately sad to me that people feel that they have to wait yeah un until they can see the person that they've known for a long time which yeah. i respect that relationship sure, and sure. we don't want to take away from it in yeah. any way i actually want to support it entirely sure i want to send that person a great medical record yeah right after yeah. that patient's been served and yeah. ultimately we didn't let something chronic or ultimately you know life-altering yeah. get in the way oh, yeah. of continuous care moving forward yeah However, if you don't show up, there's no way of really affirming that. And yeah. it's, it's our job to um, create an environment where you don't actually have to wait. Right. Being available. Right. Whether it's because, well, that or you're not awful in the other four ways, right? right. Like you're right. not creating an embarrassment factor. You're not disparaging people when they go on the internet. You're not... Right. 
uh, you're not having a process where it's so hierarchical that the person can only talk to one person and now it's really inefficient and creating an unnecessary amount of conflict. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're letting people have emotional reactions, but not necessarily engaging on them. Like those are four really big variables that stop people in their tracks. Yeah. From ever even coming in from ever even coming in. Yeah. And that, and that is an exclusively independent of anything scheduling wise. Right. That is, those are, those are just, let alone actual process. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's again, why, again, we can kind of circle back to last week and say like, you know, I mean, for your traditional nine to five day practice is dead simply because one, if we can't get past the first four problems that we just talked about with the solutions that we just said to implement, Mm -hmm. um, is that we're never really going to effectively get them in the door until it is a really big problem. And our process, the reason why we have a triage based process and that triage based process is a shared reality through the entire organization is because when you take those phone calls, what do you say? Our current wait time for stable patients is 30 minutes, 45 Mm -hmm. minutes. You can come in now while that may mean you have a 30 to 45 minute wait. It starts out with an examination by our veterinary support staff and our veterinarian. And if your patient is less stable than the other patients we have in house, you're going to move to the top of the queue because your patient does require um, more attention sooner. Right. Everyone who comes in is important and it is, it's, it's, and that's why I'll have this consultation with people in the room is it is important that you're here. Um, but you know, I might have to put that dog's leg back on, whereas yours kind of has an ear thing. I just need a little bit to sew that leg up. Yeah. Um, just give me a few minutes for the ears. And a lot of people, as long as you come in with the transparency from the first phone call, yeah to check out yeah. that the process is we are here to serve you and your patient. And the, and I, and I say this, and you say this by phone is saying our initial exam fee is $75, mm-hmm. 2 AM, 2 PM. It doesn't matter. That's what it is. Um, and what I say in the exam room with people, I say right now we are just at the $75. I'm going to talk to you about this test and this test and this treatment. I said, my biggest goal in order to serve your patient is that I have to work within the budget you provide me. We have several different financing options. Some of them that allow us to get to one to two to four years years on financing if we need to get to that point. But let's talk about why you're here. Let's talk about these issues. And again, these are exclusively cultural. Right. We haven't even started to talk about the schedule component Mm -hmm. in saying like, we have time for you. And that's the people who are saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, I know you have other things going on. No, you are just as important. Come in. Um, And I think the big takeaway, which maybe two podcasts that we talked about was the People can't take time off work yeah. to go bring their dog in who's vomiting. They just can't. Mm-hmm. Like t- to me, I, and I say this to people in the exam room, and, and you know, they're like, "Wow, your prices are actually like really affordable." I said, "Here's the reality." I said, "It doesn't make sense to me that these are your only options. One option is you don't go to work." So you don't go to work to take your sick patient in, which means you're not making money that day, mm-hmm. um, and then you have to spend more money because mm-hmm. now your patient is sick. So you just got hit twice. Mm-hmm. I said, that doesn't make sense to me. And then on the alternative, it's, I was only able to go to the veterinarian um, after work was done, mm-hmm. but it's twice as much. Right. So even though you did go to work yeah, you and you made hit. money, <laughs> then you had to pay twice as much simply yeah. because you couldn't take time off work to get when the rates were lower. Right. I said, so my goal here, I said, this is not a human ER. This is not a circumstance where things are going to be 10 times more. Mm-hmm. I said, we have things that are affordable for a clinic that's on operation 24 hours a day. Um, but our main goal is to work within your budget um, so that one, we can get care quicker. It can be more effective. Um, and guess what? If we try this, let's say we have a very limited budget and in this limited budget, um, you know, we're maybe not going to test what we want to test. Uh, we're going to treat this particular way. Guess what? You come back Sunday morning at 2 a.m., 
we pick up right where we left off. Right. It's the same prices. Yeah. Um, and that's where, again, then saying waiting too long for care, that's a huge part. So we talk about how there is no appointment. It's triage based. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we don't, you know, the, the, the embarrassment factor, like you said, all those different things are sort of touched in this waiting too long for care. We're simply re- now in those four solutions we said on these last four problems, we, we have taken away a big barrier on those people coming through the front door. The next one is talking about process and financial to say, no, now you don't have to wait any longer because we also are going to make it affordable for you. Right. Yeah. That's, um, uh, the, the, the waiting thing is, um, I, I'm having a lot of trains of thought, but really what it comes down to is, um, we're recording this on a Monday and I know what Mondays are like. Yes. Um, is that it's the people yes. that waited until yes. Monday. Yes. And then they called their vet and their vet was locked into process yep. with their, their tied up schedule yes. and they call us anyways. Yes. And I cannot express how many times that happens on Monday mornings. Oh, absolutely. I literally texted our new staff member who's at, at, oh, this, yeah, yeah. at the clinic for her first Monday. And I was like, be ready. Yeah. Because it's about to go off. Yeah. And every freaking Monday it happens. Yeah. You could have just come in Friday night. Yes. And you would have been l- likely less expensive because treatments are probably going to be even Yeah, you're worse. four days less sick. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. You yes. could have caught it earlier, something like that. And... I, I wish that I could tell that to everybody. Yeah. Like just in some way, shape or form. I do some way in the exam room. Yeah. So when I haven't come through and it's like Friday night and they're yeah. like, oh, do you think we can wait until our vet opens on Monday? I said, listen, we have upfront pricing and everything. You have an estimate for everything. Yeah. Okay. I said, we try to hit our rates at or lower than most of the veterinarians in the area specifically because we don't want you to feel upcharged in coming here. Yeah. I said, the, the bigger thing is, is just that it's Friday. You're, Catter dog is going to be three days more sick come Monday. I said, you're also going to be met with every other Monday phone call. Right. I said, most clinics for wellness are three to four weeks out on wellness, yeah. which means because they're locked into their schedule, they have even less slots for um, medical cases. Maybe they have two or three. So that means in their entire clientele, they have the opportunity to serve two or three more on a scheduled basis. But then it's like Katie's experience is that it's the drop off walk in where it's like, Oh, I'm just going to drop my dog off and I'm going to go to work and sometime today this is going to be handled, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the process. Just sometime, just drop off, just drop off. We'll help you figure it out. And it's like, when? Right. When? 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 If I have all these appointments, am I going to do on my lunch hour? Do my lunch hour? I'm (laughs) going to stay late. I'm going to stay late. That's when I'm going to, that's when I'm going to do this. So, and I I say that to the, I say that to people, I say that to caregivers and and it's the humanization element to it. So part of it is I'm just trying to acknowledge like, hey, like, give your referring vet a break. Like, you know, don't make their Monday have 15 more cases because they're probably already strung out. I mean, mm-hmm. mon- you know, it's, it's like Garfield. Everybody hates Mondays. Um, <laughs> you know, but you know, the, uh, so that is part of that conversation I have with people when they ask if they can wait. And even by phone, um, I don't think I bring that when I answer the phone, I don't bring that part up yeah. is, you know, what I say is if you're concerned enough to call, you're concerned enough to come, mm-hmm. you know, and I said, I can't do a physical exam over the phone, but I would just say, you know, honestly, it's 75 bucks that might be all your expenses today and if all that 75 dollars gets you is peace of mind awesome Mm -hmm. alternatively if we find a problem let's address it it's like seeing 20 minutes okay right Right. and uh so so there's that side but then there's also the other side and it's kind of in the video is uh that patients are they're they're waiting exorbitant amounts of time right well that goes back 
to the disparagement, that goes back to the failed engagement, that goes back to these hierarchical structures of holding on to information yeah. and not yeah. engaging people. Yeah. Like, yeah. <clears throat> if you're gonna look at a at a caregiver and 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 look for the blame of yes. why you didn't bring your vomiting patient in who's been vomiting for yeah. three years or diarrheal for two or three years with yeah. your previous example, and you're gonna say this is your fault and this is why. That's why they don't show up in three years. <laughs> right. You pointed yeah. the finger. It's the guilt part. It's the guilt part. Yeah. They don't want to feel that way. Yeah. And right. I don't blame anybody for not wanting to walk into an environment of feeling an exceptional level of guilt. Yeah. Because for something that they loved. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So getting to the point of having a consultation that is all about shared reality. Right. I think is one of the biggest uh, ways to address this as a problem yeah. and, and to create a solution of this isn't about blame. This is about understanding everything that's happened up until this point and setting a course forward that is best for the patient. Yeah. That's it. All we're doing is looking this way. Yeah. We're not really, I mean, yeah. we're getting what happened. We're understanding the yeah. path that got us here, yeah. but only for the intention of looking forward and creating solutions, yes. not placing blame. Nope. And you have to watch your words extremely yes. carefully yes. in this instance, yeah. because yeah. when you're in patient history acquisition, not only do you have to watch your words, you have to watch your face too, yeah. <laughs> because there are going to be things right. where you're going to want to face palm, yeah. right? Like, right. like, I, d I just don't understand why somebody would do that. Right. Right. Like, right. I get it. Yeah. There's, there it, <sighs> yeah right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think we should actually talk to Katie about that at some yeah. point because she's really good at making that sound in some instances, but yeah. I know that she doesn't do it in her consultations. No. Yeah. Uh, but that's such a huge thing in, in, in focusing forward, not focusing on what got us to this point yeah. and, and assigning blame along the way yeah. as a means to make sure it doesn't happen again. Right. It's just about what is the plan going yeah. forward. Right. And I think that's where you, you kind of brought it up a moment ago when we talked about owning it, right? Like yeah. that, as, as time has gone along and, you know, what I kind of am starting to realize, which sets us and my mindset apart from most others is it's that mm -hmm. it's, I, I just simply don't care about excuses and blaming. And it's just, it's non-productive like for me, cause it's all about the minutes, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm spending time in some way, shape or form, disparaging someone or blaming or having this unproductive talk path, I could have used that four minutes to educate them. Mm -hmm. I talk fast, mm -hmm. you know? And I, and again, I'm not saying that I, and I tell people, I say, and I even say that to people, you know, I talk pretty quick, honestly, ask me as many questions. I'm like, I can say that same thing five times. I'm probably going to say it 10 times today total. Just ask me if you have questions. Um, but again, it all sort of comes back to, it's just such an unproductive mindset. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's where, again, to kind of round out this podcast, um, coming into these last five problems. Um, like I said, I, I understand why the original video was made, mm -hmm. you know, and I think it, like I said, I, I know this author is, is known for kind of saying things in jest, um, but uh, to, uh, you know, to whom asked my opinion about this particular video, there's an hour and a half yeah. that we just recorded about this topic mm -hmm. on these five problems. But if we tried to answer these five problems a year ago, it'd have been a really shitty podcast. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Because we've had, we've taken the time we've put, yeah. you know, 30 hours into saying, Hey, core values, 
education, process, disparagement, culture, service, mm -hmm. talent, self-worth. Mm -hmm. And it's that's when I look at what these five is. It's like, you know, to, it was what a four minute video clip like my brain explodes yeah. and that's like when I you know it's basically strumming the spider web just I'm yeah. sitting at the middle just touching the web and it's like yeah. you know it's like everything in the veterinary profession not I mean I, the majority of things in the veterinary profession can be boiled down to these five problems if we consider ourselves somehow separate from our caregivers yeah is Absolutely. really what it boils down to mm -hmm. and if we're just willing to accept the talk path that serving the patient is of equal importance to educating the caregiver go ahead and re go ahead and rewatch this last 90 minutes because yeah. it'll start to make more sense as you start to see how all of these things are interconnected with one another yeah absolutely we're all part of the same care team yeah we're all trying to get the same patient to walk out the front door yeah right and that's really yeah. what it comes down and i and i again i have no doubt about the intent of anything oh, that yeah. has ever put out on this front. It's the same as episode 21 where I understood the intent yeah. of, of the author. Yeah. However, the ripple effect yes. is so great yeah. that I, and again, I don't know if the realization is necessarily there. Yeah. Um, it comes from, the, read the comments. You know what I mean? Yeah, look, look at how it's received, how mm -hmm. it's perceived. Mm -hmm. And that's what, like I said, our, our platform is similar, but we have a shorter reach. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's just like it, to, to take that platform and allow it, it's, it's a real opportunity opportunity for us to educate our colleagues and the veterinary care teams to be like, like, I understand that those jokes exist and that reality exists. However, to continue to take that type of perspective is nothing but unaccountable behavior. Just focus on accountability and let's move towards solutions. As soon as we can own our part in that and we take the first step forward, people follow leaders. Yeah. It's what they do. It's what we do as a society is they follow leaders, um, sometimes right or wrong, but this is a very right circumstance where if you take that step forward and you start to implement a lot of the solutions that we just talked about, these problems will cease to be problems. I right. mean, I, I heard these five things and I'm just like, honestly, it's been, it's been several years since I've even had this as a barrier. Yeah. And my consultations have maybe gotten a little bit longer, mm -hmm. but the engagement is so much more and I'm serving so many more patients because I don't see these as barriers. These were opportunities for solutions. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So that was a lot. Yeah. Uh, that was actually the longest podcast we've done yes. to, to date. Yes. To uh, but date. I think it was, I think it was worth it. I think just yeah. having, having again, kind of a more industrial uh, perspective and, and ultimately reaction to it, I think yeah. is pretty cool. Uh, I hope that whoever listens to this does want to get to the point of implementing solutions yeah. too, because yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah. I think that they're there. I think they're very real. I think because uh, we're, we're, we're realizing them. Yes. We are in the middle of the, yep. of implementation, which yep. implementation is a constant constant um, yes but i uh i hope you all enjoyed and we will see you next week all right